Yeah. Um, oh, do you know there? I know talking's good, but I just... I always think it's an achievement if I can get there without that. Oh, it's now gone too low. Oh, this, is a, this is a morning. Um, I, just, I just need a... OK, thanks. Thanks. OK. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, turn, yeah, that'd be fine. So, OK. 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 So, <laughs> OK, right. We're, we're there. Um, good, well, um, welcome everyone. Um, last week, last week we kind of began a very short, um, uh, two or three weeks around, um, creating a culture. That's what we talked about last week and we talked about creating a culture in terms of our church and in terms of how we were trying to do our mission and we looked last week at laying a foundation of grace. Oh, this is some funny noises. I don't know if they me or... Okay, okay, so... Um, okay, I'm going to get through. I am. Um, so last week we talked about grace. And, um, and this week I want to talk about just creating a, a culture. And I want to talk about uh, community and what we're trying to build. Um, And then next week, uh, actually, John's going to be talking about evangelism and how we go about inviting people. And then that leads to Jazz coming on the following week where she's going to talk, you know, hopefully be equipping us and bringing us to a place of of really encountering God um, when she preaches on the Sunday. So let's do our little kind of test. Who can remember what the mission statement of Beacon is? Yeah, I, I get all the oohs, but who can just remember it? <laughs> the ooh, who can remember? Can anyone remember? Can anyone dare to even... And I won't even hold you to every word. <coughs> Do you want to say that again? No, no, but say what you said. Yes, yes, I mean, we swapped the words around, but yes. Essentially, you've got it right. We're, we're, we're here to build the church. We're here to build the church, to glorify God and serve the community. And, uh, and so building the church is a really important part of what we're about. Uh, glorifying God is very much about however culture changes, there are moments you have to engage with it, but however it changes, we want to honour God with what we do. However culture changes, somehow we want to honour God. And <clears throat> that is not just we want to be religious and hold on to things, we genuinely want to honour him in how we live our lives. Yeah, okay, sorry. And then, and then serving the community is because we want to recognise that the, that the church that we have isn't simply about the people that sit in the room, it's about the world <coughs> excuse me, around us and the world in which we live. So... That's our vision. The foundation of that vision is the gospel and, and how we receive the gospel is, is by faith, but it's also grace. So grace, you know, I'll, I'll, I talk a lot about grace because grace is this fundamental idea that God has accepted us 
And it takes us away from our natural tendency to want to perform or to want to earn stuff. So what, what we're going to do today is in, in looking at our community is um, I'm going to look at five, so, so I'm not like taking one passage and trying to look at it. I'm just going to I'm just going to look briefly at five different scriptures that are quite fundamental and foundational for us as a church. And um, hopefully it just helps to continue to build the culture that we want in terms of the kind of church we want to be. So, uh, Father, I want to pray for your help today. I pray for, I thank you that you've been with us. Thank you that you would have already spoken to people and strengthened them. We know you do that. You do that whenever we gather. And I pray that even through my words, you will continue to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first passage I want to refer to, which we have as a church referenced over the years, is Isaiah 61. And it's this idea of the restored become restorers. And it says this in the first few verses of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So just really briefly, this idea of restored becoming restorers is really about a transformed people, people that have changed. So this passage begins with the spirit of the sovereign Lord being upon, and and obviously Jesus refers to this, but this also refers to us as the church. There's an anointing upon us to proclaim good news to the poor. There is anointing upon us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That anointing is upon us, and we, and we are part of those who were once broken-hearted, poor, captive, and we have found this release. But it's more than that. It's not just that we have found release. It's not just that God has transformed us. Actually, he then uses us to transform others. And it it describes these people, uh, ultimately, they become oaks of righteousness. So those who were once brokenhearted and poor and captive and in darkness, they themselves become oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, and they rebuild ruins and restore places. So it's very much about people who come from a place of brokenness They come to a place of healing and then God uses the very thing that they have been healed from, God uses them to heal others. And it's this kind of cycle and it it keeps happening. 
It keeps happening. You, you, you come from a fatherless place, maybe, and then you come into a place where you acknowledge God as your father, and then you become a father. And we see this even in our own context in very small ways. Yeah? We've seen people who have uh, come to our church through ministries that we do. Yeah, You know, we, we, we're involved in Food Bank, we're involved in CAP. People come to our church through ministries that we do. And do you know what? Some of those people then go back and minister in exactly the same context out of which they came. It's, it's this passage. God restores people, transforms them, and then he uses them to do the very thing that has brought them out. So you come out of darkness, you find yourself helping others come out of darkness. That is part of what we are called to do. Restored become restorers. Secondly, and I won't dwell on this because I, I, I've spoken on this passage before, um, we're to be a dwelling place for God. So that's about transformed people. A dwelling place for God. Ephesians 2, towards the end of that passage, it says this, that we are built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, and when we sang about that earlier, Jesus being the cornerstone of our faith, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become what? A dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And we've talked often about this idea of the village and, and, and we're a community, we're coming together, the village being the, the smallest sustainable community that you find. Um, obviously there are other communities that are bigger, but the village is like the smallest one where it can function kind of independently, that God is causing us and drawing us into a community, into a building where we become a dwelling place for him. And, and that is a place where his presence is, where God's presence is. And actually, when you become that dwelling place for him, when people come to that place, they are transformed. They're transformed. So this has an impact on what we think we're doing when we gather on a Sunday. Because you might think, oh, yeah, I go to church on a Sunday because that's what I do. Yeah. And, I bring, and I'll bring my friends to church on a Sunday when we have an evangelist, when we have like a guest speaker, when we do this, when we do that, when we do all these things, then I'll bring my friend on a Sunday. I'm saying, actually, you can bring people to church any Sunday because when you bring them to church on a Sunday, you're simply bringing them to the place where God dwells. You may well reach them through like witness or whatever, but, but actually when you bring them to church, you bring them to the community where God dwells. So you bring them closer to God, simply by bringing them. It doesn't actually matter if someone's preaching out of Ezekiel or Mark, it doesn't matter. You're bringing to them into a community where God dwells, and one of the things we know about the community where God dwells is when we worship, God is always speaking. If we were to go around this room today and simply say, what did God say to you during worship? How do you feel during worship? Some of us might go, oh, do you know, I couldn't get into it. But some of us would go, oh, God spoke to me about this. God confirmed this to me. God assured me of this. Oh, God said this to me. I forgave. That's what happens when the church comes together. So every time an unbeliever walks into the midst of the church, they're simply walking into the place where God is. 
And for you and I, it might be, oh, it didn't work so well this week, this didn't happen or that didn't happen. For them, it's a completely different experience. I remember one guy who's, who now he comes regularly, who didn't originally come regularly, came one Sunday, not gone to church. He's there, and I was asking him at the end, how did he find? And he was like, he couldn't understand everything, but he'd, in one of the songs, it talked about being adopted. And he simply was focusing on that. Oh, I, I didn't know that. We might have thought, oh, you know, the music wasn't great today. The notices were too long. This was that. This. He's thinking about adoption. So every time someone comes in, there is that opportunity for them to encounter God. It doesn't need to be our best service. It doesn't need to be the greatest preacher. It doesn't even need to be the best text. It simply needs to be the place where God dwells. And that, and that is the community. So over these next few weeks, when we're looking at this idea of community and moving on, I'm wanting to shift our perspective so we don't think to ourselves, I can only bring people to church when the gospel's being preached or when it's a guest speaker or whatever, because the gospel is preached every week. Because you're the restored who have become restorers. Your life tells people about the gospel. The community itself tells people about the gospel. So we're a dwelling place for God. And in that dwelling place, people can come. And then the third thing, I'm just moving through them quite, quite quickly, it's like a form of discipleship. 2 Timothy 4, it says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, this is Paul writing to Timothy, who will judge the living the de- and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom. He says to him, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared, in season and out of season, Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So I remember it was only a few years ago when I read this particular text and I began to understand the purpose of preaching. And the purpose of preaching wasn't, wasn't a performance. It wasn't like, okay, I mean, this is the moment. You've got to get up, you've got to do your thing. Yeah, so I really don't think like that. Um, and it, I realised it wasn't that. The purpose of preaching um, was that I would correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction the people of God. That's, that's, what, that's what we're doing. Yeah, I'm not giving you my best ideas. Yeah, I don't actually have many good ideas. You, you, know, you know that, actually. You can ask Pauline, she can confirm it. I don't have great ideas. Um, but what I do know is that if we focus as much as we can on the word of God, we change and we become more like him. Yeah? So preaching is a form of discipleship. It's not a performance. It's not a kind of, um, you know, let's see who's the best speaker. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's a form of discipleship. It's one of the ways we pastor the church. It's through the preaching of the word. Because when we preach to the church, what we're doing is we're speaking ideally and ultimately to your hearts. Yeah? I'm not trying to speak to your heads particularly. Hopefully there might be some knowledge in there. But it's not so much about the knowledge you retain in your head. It's about the impact it has on your heart. Because it's the heart that is the wellspring of life. It's the, it's the heart that God looks for, that God looks at. So all the time we speak, that's what we're doing. We're correcting. 
which means that maybe we're aligning. No, no, it's not that way. Go this way. We're correcting. It does say we're rebuking, and it may be that you come in on a Sunday, and you might know in your heart there is unrepentant sin. I don't know that. Yeah? You, no one comes in with a sign on their heads that says, I've sinned this week and I've not repented. Imagine if you did that. Imagine if I could see if God gave some power, special power to pastors, that when you walked in, the pastor could see what's really gone on. Yeah? Actually, most of us wouldn't come, would we? we I wouldn't go. Yeah? If I thought when I walked through the door, my sins would be exposed in that moment, I'd say, look, let's, let's not walk through the door. <laughs> let's just stay out. Yeah? So... Thankfully, that's not how it happens. You can come in and you might have unrepentant sin in your heart. I don't know. You might have done things that week that you thought, I know I shouldn't have done that and I've just blocked it out. Yeah? You come in like that, you hear the word preached and you feel rebuked. And then you have a choice. Will you repent or will you harden your heart? You have a choice. And so some of us are like that. But for others of us, maybe we've come in and we feel, maybe we feel a bit disillusioned, a bit discouraged, a bit downhearted. You come to church and as a result of the speaking and the worship, you leave encouraged. Yeah? It all depends where your heart is. And the hearts are often in different places. But the purpose of preaching in season and out of season, so even when it's going well and even when it's not going well, you're preaching, you're correcting people, you're rebuking people and you're encouraging people. All with, you, you're doing it with a heart of love, but all at the same time. And it says, with great patience and careful instruction. And you'll know we're not you know, overly impulsive here. We're not reckless here. Yeah, I don't just get up and go, oh, whatever's on my mind. Yeah? There is devotional going on that leads to this. And why is it important? Because because the preaching of the word in season and out of season, it keeps us on on sound doctrine. and And that's what we want. Particularly because the world we live in is moving away from sound doctrine. Once upon a time, the world we lived in was slightly more, it was slightly more in tune, if you like, with Christian thought, it's not anymore. So if you don't get sound doctrine, what happens? Um, Instead, to suit your own desires, you'll gather around you a great number of teachers to say what you want to hear. That's how people justify their ways. They just, oh yeah, this person said that, it's okay. We don't want to be like that. We want, so we recognise that preaching is an important part of what we do. We have a number of people who preach here Um, But it's a form of discipleship. It's a form of pastoring. That's why we do it. So then the next kind of value or undergirding or or, or culture bit we want to have is keeping Sundays special. Now, about 30 years ago, there was a... More than 30 years ago now. More than 30 years ago now. there um, There was a big move to change how Sundays worked. So until then, until like the mid-80s, some of you won't remember that, don't worry. I have to just acknowledge I can remember the mid-80s really well. Um, And in the mid-80s, Liverpool were as good as they are now, maybe better. Um, Anyway, so what happened in the um, mid-80s, until the mid-80s, 
only certain shops could open on a Sunday. And those shops were small. Yeah? And people you always used to uh, kind of comment the fact that on a Sunday you could go and buy in a newsagent like a pornographic magazine, but you couldn't actually buy a Bible on a Sunday unless you were, went to a church and they had a bookshop where they sold you. Yeah? So you, there were only certain shops. And it wasn't so much frowned upon, but people didn't go shopping on Sundays. People didn't work on Sundays. It was only like the police and the ambulance and really, you know, emergency people worked on Sundays. And then they had this whole debate and there was this whole thing that went on uh, for a number of years. I can't remember all the detail. Um, but, but basically, uh, they were moving away from that because they were arguing that people should be able to shop on a Sunday if they wanted to. And so the law changed and it, and it suddenly meant for certain hours of the day... Um, uh, all shops could open on a Sunday. What that did a bit is it, it changed how people went to church. Yeah? I think before that, I used to go to church twice every Sunday. I used to go in the morning. Well, in fact, I went three times. It wasn't because I was necessarily excited as a Christian. It was because that's what happened in our church and I was a boy and that's what you did. Yeah? Um, so I used to go in the morning Afternoon, I went to Sunday school. Evening, I went to church. Regular. Every week. For, for years and years and years. And most people went to church at least once every Sunday. Many, many people went twice every Sunday. After the Sunday trading, and, and there was a big um, kind of campaign that, that Christians were involved in, but other people were involved in, to keep Sundays special. Don't change it. And it wasn't just the Christians saying, don't change it. The unions were saying, don't change it. Other people were saying, don't change it. Don't change it. It's like a day. Uh, but actually, in the end, they, they lost. We, we lost that argument. And Sundays became a bit like another day. For the church, what it meant was some people just went to church less. Because they, were, they had other options. Some people went to church less because they worked. Some people went to church less because they just had other options. And it changed. And uh, I think I've said this here before. I mean, um, HTB, which is a large uh, church in central London, um, it did a survey of the, the people that attended their church, who they would have called members, like committed people. And it said that they went to church 1.9 times per month. So not, not quite twice a month. And that was considered committed people went to church just under twice a month. So the culture of people attending church has changed. Keep Sundays special. Whereas I'm kind of uh, appealing for Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. For me, there's this appeal, keep Sundays special. Keep Sundays for church. Don't treat Sundays in the way I treat badminton. Yeah, I play badminton sometimes on a Saturday, but do you know what? I can miss badminton because I fell asleep. Or I can miss badminton because I was like... Oh, can't be bothered. I can miss badminton for any reason. Yeah? 
And literally, I'm sitting there, and Pauline is saying, I need you to cut the grass this afternoon. I go, oh, okay, I won't go badminton. Yeah? Now I should exercise, I get it. Yeah, I'm not very good at all of that. Uh, but I can miss it for nothing. Yeah? Don't treat church like that. Don't treat church like that. Because, because going to badminton, there is obviously some benefit. There is. There's some benefit, exercise, uh, social, there's some benefit. But it's not the same. It is not the same. Yeah? Badminton doesn't disciple me through speaking. Badminton is not a place where God dwells, particularly. There's no book written where it has an equivalent comment about badminton as Hebrews 10, don't give up meeting together. There's no book written that says that. Don't give up meeting, don't give up playing badminton. As some are in the habit of doing. (laughs) Don't do it. There's, no, there's nothing like that for badminton, but there is stuff like that for the church and for the gathering of the people. Yeah, there is stuff like that. So I want to encourage you, keep Sundays special because on a Sunday you are discipled. Yeah, on a Sunday you, you're where God dwells. You're with the people of God. If you, don't, if you don't make those gatherings, then you can get out of the habit, particularly in a world which has moved away from that habit. So keeping Sunday special is important. And then next would be our, and I don't want to make a huge thing of this because there are different ways of doing mission, but one of our mission approaches comes from Isaiah 2. In Isaiah 2, it says this. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. So there is very much something, there are very many, there are different ways of doing evangelism. There is that evangelism where you feel like, you know, I suppose if you just go to Acts 28, and I'm sure you could theologically, Acts 2, no, Matthew 28, sorry, Acts, Acts 1, um, where it's very much go and tell, go and tell, and, and there definitely is that, yeah? But there is also this thing, and I don't think it's negated by that, even though it comes in the Old Testament, where people will come to the mountain. They'll come to the place where God dwells. Yeah, the problem with the go and tell it's not a problem, please don't mishear me going to, not to go and tell no, I'm not saying that at all but the, the issue with that is sometimes you don't build anything for them to come back to so so many people get saved and they get saved completely divorced from the church they have no understanding they have no concept of the church and if you get saved that way it's very hard for you then to think that the church is really important I didn't get saved in the church. I got saved in by a swimming pool with my friends. And I, and I get that, and hallelujah to that. Uh, but actually, if you don't find the church, if you don't recognise that the church as being the place where God gathers his people, and it's the place where he dwells, it's the place where you get discipled, then you're just trying to do the Christian thing alone. I mean, you could try and start a community around the swimming pool, but most people don't do that. 
So there is an aspect of building something that will get people will gather to. And, and your confidence in building is not because you get it perfect, but the thing you're always trying to cultivate is, oh, we're going to be a community where God dwells. And whatever we need to do to ensure that happens, we'll do that because we are confident if we do that, that when people come, they will find God. And that's what you want. You want people ultimately to find God. You want them to find Jesus. You want them to go through that transformation where once upon a time they were in darkness, they were bound. But actually, because of the spirit, because of the proclamation of the gospel, it changes. They become oaks of righteousness and they become those who restore others. And we don't tell every story here, but we definitely have stories of that here. People who have been restored, who now restore. Yeah? It's part of the gospel process. So you want to build something. Again, if you want... You know, we live in a time where people are kind of... There's a... um, uh, if you like, there's a lot of pressure on, on marriages and, and relationships and families. There's no point in speaking out against that if you're not building something that's worth looking at. You need to build marriages. You need to build families that are faithful and are committed and where God's at the centre. And it becomes an example. And more and more, that's what happens. So our mission approach, in part, is to build something. We're here to build the church. And then the final one is the fact that we as a people and many churches, I'm sure, we live with prophetic promise. It's not just that we read the Bible, very important. It's not just we worship and come, but actually we live with prophetic promise. We live with the fact that God speaks. God has spoken to us. And... uh, just one of the, 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 the passages where God has certainly spoken to me um, is in Zechariah 4. I'm just going to read a few verses from it, just make a couple of comments on it. Uh, Zechariah 4, uh, this kind of uh, vision that Zechariah has, um, he's the prophet, and he says, and there are two olive trees, and I'm reading the amplified version. Um, occasionally it's quite a good version, I think. And there are two olive trees by it, uh, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side, and it's got in brackets, supplying it continuously with oil, this, this bowl. So I asked the angel who was speaking, to with, uh, speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who was speaking with me answered, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this continuous supply of oil is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the prince of Judah, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol. So the oil is a symbol of the spirit, and God is continuously supplying the spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before the rubber ball, you will become a plain, and he will bring out the capstone with loud shouts of grace, grace to it. 
The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me as his messenger to you. Who, with reason, despises the day of small things or beginnings? For these seven eyes shall rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which roam throughout the earth. So there's, there's this picture of Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the ruins of the temple. And you've got this picture of this bowl and these two uh, candle uh, lampstands and this oil. And uh, a few years ago when this came to me, I just had this picture of this constant supply God giving to us of the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. It's coming. Or it's here and it's, it's constant. It's continuous supply of oil. And he says, he reminds us, I, I don't do my work by, by might or by power, but by the Spirit. There's something about that for us. And that we're not to despise the day of small things or small beginnings. And that those whose hands laid foundations here We'll finish it. It's a prophetic promise. This last week we had uh, myself and Bill and John, we we went to see the local council about our Grace Centre and we just presented to them our thoughts and ideas. I mean, I didn't talk to them about the rubber ball or the Holy Spirit (laughs) and other things like that. They they were in my heart. I didn't use those words to them. Um, and in fact, we'd been really helped by uh, Emma, Emma Gould, who had like, written up this proposal. So again, she didn't talk about Zerubbabel and other things when we handed them these proposals. Um, but probably that meeting was, for us, it was like, okay, God had spoken to us about something and we really felt now was the time to move on it, to act on it. We handed it in and uh, probably the meeting was as encouraging as it could have been, Yeah. I suppose the most encouraging might have been when they said, and we'll give you all the money that you want. Yeah, but they didn't do that. Um, in fact, they said, look, we're not going any money, but we like what you want to do. Yeah, that was basically what they said. And we'll support what you want to do. That was basically what they said. And so we're living with prophetic promise. We're living with words that God has spoken to us. And we're believing that he's going to fulfill those things. That it's not about our might nor power, but it's by his spirit that he's going to fulfill those things and that we mustn't despise the day of small beginnings. John sometimes calls even what we do now in our house. He says, oh, we'd like doing a mini grace centre, which basically means on one day of the week, we're doing very many different things that gather in the community. We're running job clubs and money courses and alpha courses and various things that gather in the community. Yeah? It could be done on a much bigger scale, but at the moment, we're not despising the day of small beginnings. We're doing it, we're doing it. And we're believing that God has greater plans for that. But they are his plans, they're not, they're not just our plans. It's not like we came up with a plan and we thought, okay, we've got a plan now, let's take it to God and see what he thinks. Yeah, God, what, what do you think about our... No, it wasn't like that. It was very much that God spoke to us. So we're wanting to create a, a culture in our church of this community. We want to acknowledge that we are a transformed people. Yeah? And and part of that is that you are a transformed individual. 
Yeah, it's not that you got caught up in a bigger transformation. God came to you. He came to you. You know that's true. I don't need to persuade you. No, you know. Yeah, I was broken hearted. I'm not broken hearted anymore. I had no hope. I'm not, I'm not without hope anymore. We're, we've been a transformed people. And then, for some of us, we're seeing, both individually and corporately, that we are helping to transform others. Yeah, that's Isaiah 61. We're a dwelling place for God. So every time an unbeliever walks into the midst of us, they're walking into the midst of the place where God dwells. God doesn't just dwell when we preach the gospel out of Mark. He dwells when we preach out of Ezekiel or whatever it is. God doesn't just dwell in the, in the preaching. He dwells in even how we do the notices. He dwells in our, when we fellowship together. God's here. Yeah? The most common thing people say when they walk into this church is it's friendly and there's something about it and they can't normally put it into words. But it's a common thing that they say. It's friendly, but there's, there's something about it. We've not just trained people to be friendly. It's more than that. We're a dwelling place for God. We are disciples, and every Sunday we experience, if we choose, discipleship. We experience it if we choose. We live with prophetic promise. God has spoken to us, and we have a mission. And part of that mission is us building something in which people will one day come. So, so those are my encouragements to you. Uh, I don't want to repeat them because I've just said them. But it's an encouragement for us as a church that we're creating this culture of community, that we're understanding what it is we're trying to do. Why Sundays are important. Why preaching is important. Why is mission important. And that as we do that, God begins to work in us and through us for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your presence. Uh, Lord, we don't presume upon it. We don't take it for granted. We're grateful. We're grateful. And Father, I pray that today, with everything that's been heard, all the, whether it's through this word, whether it's through the worship and all the words that were brought, through the communion, even just through the sharing of notices. God, you speak. And I pray you would give us hearts that would hear and respond. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.